creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. As time goes on, the younger generations forget what it's like to live in moments of the past. Each of these moments in time are experienced and remembered by older generations that are still around today. On today's Culture Click, we take a look at book author Myrtle Johnson Clark with her book, Memoirs of a Farm Girl, which details an astonishing story about the author and her life experiences growing up in the upper Midwest during the Great Depression, and how each moment helped her shape her core values. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm 94 years old. I was raised on a small farm in Fish Creek in rural Wisconsin, the eldest of four girls. I always tended to take life and responsibilities seriously. A developing faith instilled a desire in me to serve, which led to a future in nursing. After 30-some years, I retired and eventually ended back to the farm where I grew up. I had married Frank Clark in 1973 when I was in my 40s. I became a part of his growing family. We had a propane and appliance business for a few years. We traveled to all the states in Canada, took some cruises where we touched in the Latin America and Northern South America and some of the islands in the Caribbean. Eventually, at 93, I wrote the book, Memoirs of a Farm Girl. Well, that's really amazing. So to those who haven't read your book, what would you say it's about? It's about the everyday life on a small farm during the Great Depression. At that time, there were many small farms. Right now, most of those farms have disappeared. What was the main purpose of writing your book? Well, the book evolved because some in the younger generation were curious about the way things were when I was a kid. Questions were asked. And someone suggested a book that there'd be a record of things that happened and what I did. So they were trying to convince me to write a book. Did you always want to be a writer? I never dreamed of writing a book. Even now, it seems unreal. I did write thoughts much easier than verbalize them. But a book? No way. About my childhood? Really? Those memories were buried, forgotten. Retrieve them? Uh-uh. <laughs> well, uh, what is the target audience for this book? It was really written for the families to satisfy curiosity. After it was published by Amazon, readership expanded a bit. Feedback that came, it was interesting to teens all the way to the 90s that enjoyed it. The young were curious. The older reminisced pictures of common everyday items taken of the actual item that I found still on the farm added greatly to the narrative. Local historical societies were also interested. While you were raised in Wisconsin, uh, your father had visited Winona for a brief moment. Yes, we always tried to take advantage of opportunities offered. One year, a farm event was scheduled and sponsored by the Watkins Company in Winona, Minnesota, and my mother encouraged my dad to go, assuring him that we could carry on, take care of the chores. He would be going by bus with um, other farmers from the area and be gone at least one night. I don't recall quite how many nights. 
but at the time I was 11, and so we had the farm, my mother and my four sisters, all younger than I was, to take care of all the chores, to do the milking, feed the animals, and take care of any of the other chores that had to be done. So he went on the trip, and we did the chores and took care of things while he was gone. Okay. So what would you consider to be the biggest moment of your life? Usually uh, life on the farm here went at an even keel. It was routine one day, not much different the other. Chores all had to be done each day. We did have some fun. There might be some visitors now and then. Um, the neighbors dropping in. We didn't phone ahead. We didn't have telephones. Uh, you just dropped in if you wanted to visit someone. But um, I did value all my time alone, though. The, a big moment was uh, became a turning point in my life when I was 12. I got a package in the mail, a large package, no less. Certainly a surprise because kids seldom got mail. Turned out to be a book, Hurlbut's Story of the Bible. I was one of 10 winners in a national contest in the United States and Canada, sponsored by David C. Cook Publishing Company whose Sunday school materials were used in church in our Sunday school. I devoured the stories it had, and I was forever drawn to the Bible. I was a reader to start with, and that was my reading much of the time. Did you have a favorite story in in the book? Well, the story I came up with when I reviewed the book was about a rooster in the kitchen. One spring, a box of Keeping yellow activity was delivered. Mom had been able to buy some chicks to add to her flock of uh, white leghorn chickens instead of trying to raise as many chickens as she wanted in her flock. So she was able to order some, and I can still see that box of chickens when she opened it, all these yellow little things running around and peeping and falling over each other. So now she had the chickens, but an incubator was not available. But she rose to the occasion like she usually did. She spread some um, paper under the cook stove in the kitchen, enclosed the space with a barrier, and tenderly moved all these chicks into their space under the stove where it was warm because there was always wood burning in the stove and they had plenty of space to, to run. But uh, it turned out, they grew older, there was a rebel rooster that found his way out over the barrier, or somehow he found his way out and roamed the kitchen. Needless to say, he had many close calls, but this seemed to be an example of the resourcefulness needed at that time. If what was needed could not be attained, what was available so maybe unconventional, was adapted to do the job, and it did very well. That was very interesting. <laughs> that was some chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can still see him jumping over the barrier. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like uh, living on the farm during the Great Depression? It was hard work, manual labor. We didn't push buttons or do switches to make things go and to be accomplished. It required
required great ingenuity, cooperation within the family, and working together with neighbors, sharing resources, exchanging labor when help was needed. All were in some way dependent on each other. Food was available because of gardens. Everyone had a garden, but items were often swapped in exchange for variety. There was care and concern for each other and respect. Kids respected their elders. Elders respected each other. Space was allowed. Some things were overlooked. Life was slower, but of value. A bachelor uncle of mine drove slow on the road, uh, but as he aged, slow became slower, and locals did not like to get behind him, but they gave him his space, maybe a wider lane. He never had an accident or caused one. Horns were not honked, and patience was practiced. Did you ever travel elsewhere during this period? Well, we did go on a road trip once. I was about 10 or 11 to visit Mom's relatives in Milwaukee. It took all day to drive. I don't know what happened to the chores while we were gone. Um, Somebody had to take care of them. City life, though, sure was different. Houses close together, streets, sidewalks, alleys, concrete everywhere. Milk was delivered by horse-drawn carts in the morning, and also ice for the ice box. Nothing like the farm. No open space. Not at all appealing. What was the common struggle living during this time period? Well, I guess it would be money. Each farm was quite self-sufficient, but some things had to be bought. Mom saved coupons worth a few cents. If she happened to find something with a 10 center reduction, that was a treasure. Flower sacks became dish towels and children's underwear. Each item was in some way repurposed. Something else in many ways, still no longer being useful. Good stewardship was practiced. Although I never heard the word, but it was essential. Clothes had patches upon patches. To have a hole in your clothes was not tolerated. Patches gave a feeling of dignity and self-respect. Today, the jeans are bought with holes in them. Socks were darned. Kids now, I don't think, know what it means to be mended. Their use of the word is entirely different. Life was a struggle. Divine wisdom was given and accepted. But people had happy times, too. They enjoyed each other. The families enjoyed each other. My husband told me their family had dances in the kitchen. To make room for the activity, they took the stove out temporarily. In the winter, the house was heated by stoves in the kitchen and a heater that was brought in from the shed each fall. Both burned wood. Providing the wood is another story. The heater was in the room below the stairs to the bedroom above. Often there was frost on the ceiling and walls. On those nights, we crawled into bed fully clothed, except, of course, for our shoes. Mom gave each of us kids a brick 
which became our total responsibility. Put the brick in the stove oven in the morning when getting up, and at night remove the brick, wrap it in a flannel rag, and take it up for our feet. It worked very well. When writing this book, I also recall two nights that were especially cold. At night, my sister and I snuggled in a day bed that was close to the heater, which was in the uh, front room then, that extra room, covered with blankets, but also rag rugs. The folks were in rocking chairs, wrapped in blankets. Everyone was fully clothed, as close to the heater as possible. A bit later, I found this remembrance written in the Door County Advocate column, Traveling Back. These nights had been recorded. They were February 9th and 10th in 1933. The temperature of those nights were 29 degrees below zero. The wind was 30 miles per hour. The temperature low was a minus 26. The wind chill was minus 88. The house was not insulated. There was no thermostat to adjust. I was not yet five. Seeing this article was no coincidence. I do not believe in coincidence. It was something that was to be included in the book. Was there a person that you had in mind that motivated your work? Well, my oldest daughter, Judy, in particular, would not let the idea of a book lay. She's also interested in genealogy and photography. She kept envisioning a book and kept encouraging, prodding me to record my childhood experiences. I finally gave in when she volunteered to help. And actually, she is really responsible for bringing it into being. She did so much typing, taking and inserting pictures, endless editing, and research on how to put a book together. She spent more time, I think, than I did bringing it about. She also promoted it by contacting local libraries. So how long have you had the farmhouse from your childhood? Well, you might say that I had it all my life. I was gone over 30 years. I always envisioned that I would come back to it someday. My sisters were not interested in it. Um, When I did return, it was older. Some repairs were being needed, but it still had memories to make, times to rejoice. There were many, many family gatherings. There were weddings, many anniversaries. Lights were strung in the barn. We had a band a couple of times. We had a fish boil. There always seemed to be a return of the family members and those that became part of the family, uh, connected with the farm. I, too, was older, but still had memories to make, which eventually came to the writing of the book. The farm remained a place to contemplate, to dream, to find a quiet place to retire to, let thoughts connect with our maker. All's well here if it isn't everywhere. What is the most rewarding thing about writing this book? Oh, I think the interest that people had in wanting to know what life was then, and they really wanted to know 
and I guess the feedback that I got, I did feel that, you know, in spite of the fact that I had never had a book on my bucket list, that it did become a well-written book expressing my feelings and recording my memories, even though it took a while to retrieve them, dig them out of where they were buried, and to look at them. And the book itself helped me to see things in a different way and added to my, um, I guess, to my um, appreciation of life in the past, even though I have never had regrets of being a farm girl. Do you have any plans for another book? Well, I had considered the possibility, but at this um, stage of the game, I would have ideas for one, probably in a little different format. It would be more like a spiritual bio, um, but I don't feel that I am capable at the moment energy-wise, and of course, I don't know how much time I'd have. It isn't, uh, you know, it takes a bit of time to write a book. Right. You know, at 94, uh, how many years do I have to look forward to yet? I have toyed with the idea, but uh, it uh, has seemed to uh, fall by the wayside. How can people get a copy of the book? Amazon carries it. Well, I guess that would be the easiest way. It uh, was kind of strange, too, to look at a book an actual book with my name on it. <laughs> you know, it's, it was quite an experience. Well, it's been an experience reading your book and understanding your history and also seeing how you're now famous. <laughs> well, I don't know how famous I am, but uh, <laughs> I don't think some of the relatives have even read the book yet, but... Uh, I guess that's their loss. <laughs> what message do you want readers to take away after reading your book? Well, the book was written by request of family. Over time, however, I felt a change in the purpose, in the direction it was going. A higher reason, a calling even, maybe. A plan that was unfolding. Experience and thoughts flowed so easily, as if guided. I began to feel this book was meant to be. It has been an enriching, humbling experience. At times I questioned who the authorship was. The message, remember the values associated with the past. Carry them forward. They have proven themselves of worth. Reverence and respect for God, others, and life itself. Trust in each other. Honest work ethic. Accountability. Last year, I needed the half of the barn roof had to be replaced. This is going to be a huge expense because it had to be taken down to the roof ports. The roofer came, gave me an estimate. I knew it would be quite expensive considering the inflation. It seemed to be a reasonable price. A tree was in the way, and I would have had to remove the tree because they couldn't get the scaffolding up on the barn. He offered to remove the tree for me in his field, and then he noticed some shingles missing on the garage roof. He offered to replace those. He didn't change his price to 
bring these extra offers. So we agreed. I told them to go ahead with the job. We did not bring out any papers. The agreement was sealed with a handshake. God's principles, the Ten Commandments, are still the foundation for a blessed life. This thread of truth wanders throughout the narrative, connecting the dots. Yes, the culture changes, so do priorities. But the basic truth God has instilled in his creation does not. Each generation must deal with this. Other devices tend to become gods. Other beliefs travel down the numerous paths that lead away from God and even try to build another Babel. Man is still not his own God and never will be. Circumstances, knowledge, challenges change. Do you at the present feel safe and secure within love divine, with a purpose defined? Are you at peace in this world of your time? The past is not passé. Reflect on it. Retrieve it. Its values. Restore your faith. Remove doubts. God is still on his throne and in control. He waits on his humans to recognize this. The present is hinged to the past and opens the door to the future. Thank you for the opportunity, the privilege, the honor of doing this interview. May it be a blessing to others. And God bless each of you. Thanks again to Myrtle Clark for sharing her story today on Culture Click. If you'd like to learn more about her full story, her book, Memoirs of a Farm Girl, can be found published on Amazon.com. I'm Dylan Alzate, and to keep up with all things Winona and the surrounding area, tune in to Culture Click Thursday at 1230 right here at 89.5 KQAL-FM at KQAL.org on the app, or on your favorite smart speaker. Culture Click is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click.